Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all things leaders within the industry, and I'm very happy to introduce to you Stevie Shepherd. Welcome, Stevie, to the show. Hiya, how are you doing? Hello, yeah, really well, thank you. Now, if you want to introduce to all our lovely listeners, Stevie, exactly who you are, where you come from, and what position you hold. Yeah, so I'm Stevie Shepherd. I'm the park director here at Jimmy's Farm and Wildlife Park, um, all the way in Ipswich. Absolutely, a truly cracking collection. I'm sure you feel very honoured to be part of it. Now, to get to that sort of collection, though, and to get to the position you're in, I'm sure you just haven't rolled into it. I'm sure you haven't got lucky. Throughout your, your career, throughout your journey so far, have you got those life moments, those true iconic turning points throughout your career, which almost stand out from the rest and have led you to the position you're in? Do, do you have them, Stevie? Yeah, so I, I didn't actually do it in a normal zoo way, if you like. I didn't come into the zoo world and worked in zoos. I had passion for zoos. So when I was younger, I grew up with my nan. My nan was like my pride and joy, and she took me to the zoo every Thursday. And my local one was Colchester Zoo. You know, it's 20 minutes down the road from us now. And I grew up, and I can tell you, when I walk around that zoo, I can tell you where every animal used to be and what their names were, where they all lived. But for me, my actual career started in the circus. So I started with um, a circus called the Great British Circus. It was run by a guy called Martin Lacey um, and his family. And I was 12 at the time. And I said to my nan, who took me to the circus one day, I said, oh, I'd love to work with these animals. And being her Irish background, she dragged me down at the end of the show and said, I'm leaving him here on Saturday and put him to work. And he did. Martin did. He didn't actually pay me till I was about 16, I think it was. So I worked with the circus all the way from I was oh, 12 till nearly 18. And every other animal place you could imagine in the meantime. Like, So the circus used to come every year and do season work. They would come and I'd follow them from Chelmsford to Colchester to Ipswich to Clapton all the way up. In the t- gaps when they weren't here, I worked at reptile rescue centres and veterinary practices. Anything animal fascinated me and I couldn't sit at home and be lazy and I had to just get out and do it. And back then, college was only three days a week, so it wasn't too bad. I could fill all the other days up with the animals. And then I sort of went for a bit of a career change. I joined the RSPCA, did that for a little while, and actually went weird from working with Martin to actually inspecting them. The circuses started to change, and people started to go, oh, this isn't the way you should care for them, you know, the exhibits. But actually, yeah, circuses did become outdated, the way they cared for animals. But there was a time where circuses actually offered better care than the zoos. And I always remember Martin telling me that zoos back in the day, these concrete jungles, every week his animals got moved to a new site. They had new smells, enrichment, new enclosures that were set up. It was almost like he was, you know, if he wanted to build the enclosure around a tree, he'd build it around a tree. It was flat packs, and we used to set them up and bolt them together. And I always remember him going, you don't ever see these boards. And I didn't see the, the pacing behaviours or you know, the stereotypical behaviours that we were seeing in zoos at that time, because they were, they got training 24-7. They had enrichment thing, yet the travel wasn't great, but that was actually often the smallest part. And it was nice to then see the zoos sort of coming up that time. We did those bits and I started doing the RSPCA and that was a maternity cover for a couple of years. And I then decided, oh, what do I do now? Do I go to uni? Do I, do I go work somewhere? And I did, I decided to 
go and work at Rittle College in Chelmsford. And I started teaching there and worked my way up within the ranks up to a sort of lecturer status and stuff like that and lectured there for quite a long time until got to the stage where it actually changed. I always remember the day it changed. My class sizes used to be sort of 14 to 20 individuals and the law came out that you had to stay in education until you were 18. And suddenly the animal market got flooded because everyone thought it's easy or they're fluffy bunnies. And I tell you now, it is never easy working with animals. Every animal is individual. Every animal is unpredictable. Like you never know how it's going to go. And it's emotional. Like it's draining on you. No, you know, you've got a good day, bad day, good day, bad day. Animal's happy. It's not happy. Oh, it's sick. It's well, it's constantly pulling you pillar to post. And it was trying to teach people. And I got frustrated that, you know, people were coming into it such a fast uh, way. And we were pumping these students through. And I was just thinking they're not capable. They're not, they're not good enough. And we needed to go back to having that sort of people that truly wanted to be in there, the skilled group. Yeah, so I sort of did that and went from there. Some really great and really interesting points there, Stevie. Now, going on from what you've just said, you obviously stated that you entered the industry at a very young age. That has definitely put you in good stead, has definitely allowed you to become the person you are. Now, looking at the industry, do you still see that career path a viable option for people trying to come into the industry at, you know, at that sort of age or, or simply just trying to come into the industry at a younger age with the health and safety building year after year and so on. Is it a possibility? No, I, do you know what? I think it comes down to confidence. Like I didn't have the confidence then, but my man did and she dragged me down and that, that made me teach that if you don't ask, you don't get. I then went to a reptile rescue center and said, can I please come help you on a Saturday? And it was like, yes, you know, we've, I get people that apply for us for work experience all the time. And when their mums come and ask, it's like, well, they could ask now. And it's, it's like, you're old enough. Like, and it is that. And I didn't have the confidence when I was 12. But as I got older, that's the big thing. You have to step forward. You have to stand out from the crowd. And that's really important. But yeah, so once I finished teaching, obviously, then I came and ended up here at Jimmy's. I couldn't agree more. As you've said, confidence is key, but simply what you don't ask for, you'll never get. So what is the harm? Some great advice, and I'm sure our listeners are lapping it up. Now, looking back at that career, Steve, you're looking at such a diverse route to the position you're in. Do you feel it's done you some good? Obviously, you look in some zoos and some people can live a lifetime in one simple collection in one role. And that is amazing in itself. But do you feel with your diverse background, it's put you in good stead and only benefits you to this day? Oh, massively. Yeah, it has. And uh, there's an old saying that is um, jack of all trades, master of none. And I'll quite confidently say that I am a jack of all trades. I'm not a master in everything. But then I have to rely on my guys here that do have their specialisms to be my, you know, the master in that. And I just have to have enough knowledge to be able to handle it and manage it and understand it. You know, when you work with animals and you work with a variety that I've been lucky enough to work with, the core sections of it is really simple and it crosses over everything. You know, you've got to feed it. You know, it's got, it needs water. It's got to breathe. It, it's got to be clean. So you take those skills and you learn. And that's where I've done really well and probably why I've got to the, the managerial position I'm in because I can do that rather than having that specialism. I'm like, I can only do this. Absolutely. Some really great words there, Stevie. Now, I've got a question for you, and that is, from your career so far, from the amazing journey you've been on, what advice can you give for what you've learned passing on to maybe your younger self, to someone trying to come into the industry, who's currently in the industry, or simply wanting to learn about this amazing world we live in, which is obviously zoos and everything about them? What, what little gems have you got for us? Oh, I've got a couple. One is it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to get it wrong. Like we have all made mistakes in our career and it's okay. There's a lot of people that pretend they know and you don't have to. Like you just have to go to people 
do you know what? I don't quite know that answer yet, but we can work it out together. And that's what I do with my guys here. If I don't know, I just sit there and go, I have no idea, but we can work it out. Like we'll call a friend. You know, there's so many people within the industry that we can rely on. And I, I do it all the time. I, I call Chris at Noah's Ark and I'll go, oh, have you done this before? And he'll go, yeah, I have. This is what you do. Or, you know, he asked me the other day about some armadillo questions because we've got armadillos here and he's just got them. And it's, you don't have to be right and you don't have to know everything all the time. It's okay to get it wrong. And then my other bit of advice for new keepers coming in, think about your other experiences that you're doing because they're just as important. So people always say, oh, my experience with animal, animal, animal. But I like to know what they do, what's their other experiences. So for example, have you worked in a shop for years? Well, your customer service skills is probably great. You know, we had a lad here that's been a scout his whole life. I'll make him literally rope splice everything. Jay does every bit of rope splicing here because it's an additional skill set. And we we push all the guys to show us what have they learned in other places. And we've got one of the girls here, Sammy. She used to work in a restaurant. She can carry more buckets than anyone. It's like where they used to carry all the plates in the restaurant. It's like that, that additional skill set is brilliant. Like let's let's use it. And people are so worried that oh, none of them skills sort of matter to the zookeeping industry. Oh, they do. So utilize everything you learn elsewhere and show it off when you come to a meeting or an interview. Some really great points there. And I'm sure our listeners are very keen to hear what you have to say next, Stevie. Now, the next one I've got for you is what trait, what personality attribute inside of yourself do you feel has allowed you to progress to become the position and, and the person you are today? Big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best one having the confidence to speak like literally i can talk all day i can talk to anyone and that's what's got me to where i am i'll be brutally honest it's having that confidence to talk to people and chat and communicate and that's how i've got to where i am today really a really great trait to have and i think if we look around the industry long enough and look at our more senior positions i think it's something which you see a consistency of i think it is very much about being confident about being quite happy to speak out and, and speak your voice um so no a great trait definitely to have that little feather in the cap for sure now moving on then stevie to that next question and that is we all know the industry at times can get a bit hectic. It can get on top of us. It can go a little crazy in its own way. And it, it can overwhelm at times. It, how have you found to take all of that craziness, however amazing it can be at times, and convert it all into productivity, into true confidence and into success uh, for, for both you and your collection? Yeah, I think you have to sort of weigh things up sometimes. Like there are days that are bad and there are things that frustrate you and you're like, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. This is a silly mistake that, you know, we shouldn't be doing or, you know, you have something really planned out and then it all goes wrong at the end or you have those, but you just got to take it each day as you come and also remember where you are. So we've done this a little while ago. We had a day that went really bad on site and it, it's annoying. We're all looking at it. And then I sat there and went, do you know what? Five years ago, do you remember when that septic tank used to overflow every day and we had to, we had to unblock it or turn the pump or figure it out. And it's like, we haven't done that for five years now because we managed to finally sort the problem out. And when you work somewhere so long, it's really good to look back and laugh about all the things that went wrong before that were so silly, but you then think to yourself, it will get better because look where we are now because all of those things like the septic tank that used to break or we used to have the bouncy pillow wouldn't inflate because it had too much water in its pipe or uh we used to have some of the old animal buildings that weren't quite right or didn't have the right electricity needed or we had it today we opened up a new food outlet and we're drawing too much juice and can't even get the pizza ovens going because it's tripping the electrics but tomorrow we're having an electrician out he'll change the breaker we're up the amount and it's a distant memory. You have to look back sometimes. You know, you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. 
And that's important. And it's also important for your staff. So we get a lot of new staff that come in all the time. We're a growing collection. Our team is tripled in the last two years and it's still growing. And when those new people come in, they go, oh, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And sometimes you have to go, well, this is why. This is the history of the place. Get to know it. And if you are a new member of staff anywhere, try to learn the history, try to learn the struggles, because it can be frustrating for people when you come in, you say, oh, you should be doing this. It's like, well, actually, I would have been doing that if this hadn't been breaking all this time. So, yeah, remember where you've been. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And you've made my life very easy there, Stevie, because you lead perfectly. And you've said it a few times into that next question. And that is the building of a team. You've talked about how important having a good quality team behind you is. And the building of it is so important. Having the right personalities, the right building blocks for a true successful collection. So the question I've got for you alongside this then, and I'm very interested to hear what you've got to say, as I'm sure every collection is going to have something slightly different. And that is, what do you look for? What is it you are looking for in a keeper to come and join your team? And alongside this, for anyone listening, is there anything that they can do to try and help themselves to be that keeper that you're after? We want our keepers to be a bit like the farming trade that we're used to, actually, because we come from the farming background. In the farming background, you have to be a little bit capable of taking every challenge as it comes so you know you might have a pig that chews for a water pipe or the electric fence has come down or something needs screwing up so we like to train our guys to be able to do a whole range of maintenance you know they do plumbing they do tool work we do everything like that because our keepers are our maintenance guys they maintain their own enclosures and that's really important so when we hire people we always look for additional skill sets so when i was talking about earlier about experience you know we hired uh, one of our guys used to do tree work so he fells trees or he does branches so it's like brilliant you know we'll use that you've chainsaw license great we had another guy that came in that said you know had the scouts background and he does all the rope splice and it's like right this is additional skill set so when we look at everyone we always look at what they can add to the team what's an additional value and also i don't like using loads of other companies to do stuff i like whatever we can do on site i like to do it on site so we often go well if you can pick up a skill and that someone else we have to pay for, brilliant, we'll just pay you for it. Because it makes more sense for us to have that skill here on site than what it is constantly trying to find it off site. So Jay, um, the the guy who I was talking about earlier, who's our um, scouts guy that does all the sort of rope splicing and bits and pieces, he went off last year and he'd done a whole course in sheep shearing. He loved it. He loves sheep. He's gone a bit creepy with the sheep, I must say, but he really wanted to learn how to shear. And it's like, well, I have to pay a shearer every year. If you learn and you get really good at it, I'll pay you, you know, and we'll cover your equipment and we'll get you up to it. We want to put this skill set in you. That's far better. So when we look at additional and new people, we always look at what they can bring to the team. How's their personality sort of sit rather than hiring people just for the species that we've got? You can always move people around. Everyone always wants to try something different. And we must swap our sections two or three times a year sometimes as we're growing. So we're always looking at what they can add to us, really. That's a really nice way to view a team. And I think you're exactly right. Uh, Having that mixture of abilities, mixture of traits, mixtures of skills really will strengthen you. And I think it's great to hear that you're, you're looking for that next thing rather than simply just adding to the same thing again and again is some some cracking stuff. Now, the next question links to this kind of, and that is that age-old question. It's a question which never goes away. It's asked day after day, year after year. And that is... For you, Stevie, what's more valuable, three years experience or three years in education in the form of a DIMSA or a degree? 
what would you pick and what's more valuable to yourself? So I always look for experience over degree. I won't lie. And the reason why is because I know they've got the practical experience to walk into that job and they can hold their own with our team. We've still got a relatively small team. If I had a larger team and I had a big, you know, I was a big zoo with loads of people and I could offer them the full training from start to finish, then I would. And I feel bad sometimes asking them to be an intern when they've spent all them years studying with their degree because they have done it. I think we should actually put more effort into colleges because quite often you'll find that you've got the college level students that then go into the degree or the work experience. And I think if we could offer them greater work experience and that level, then they can go off and get their additional education in a degree and then hopefully step in and they've got both. Because that's what we really want them to have is we want them to have both. We want them to have the degree so they've got the knowledge and the science around it. And then also we want them to have the experience. For me at the moment, experience trumpets degree yeah for sure that was a pretty good go at that question there stevie so thank you very much for that now looking at your team then what true trait brings them together as a collective they all sound truly amazing and i'm sure you are very proud of the team you've created but what trait what real skill set brings them together and makes them exclusive and unique within the industry so we have a golden rule here and this applies to keepers the chefs in the restaurant the gardeners, we don't allow the term, that's not my job. And that is the one thing that makes us stand out, I think, everywhere. We don't allow that term. So I've had, you know, whether that keepers picking apples off the fruit trees for the restaurant and the garden, or gardeners helping rake up uh, muck from an animal because it needs to be done quickly because we've got, you know, it's about to go on show and we've been delayed because an animal's done something. That's what makes my team stand out. They all will get their hands dirty in every single department no matter where it is you know that i watch the keepers walk past the restaurant they've clear all the dirty plates off the table and take them in and i've seen that happen in every department and that's that's what's really unique sounds like you've got a really great team at your ends and i love that mentality of an all for one and one for all approach it's a really great mentality which i believe the industry should and continues to endeavor to have so no some great great words now before we move on i've got one last thing to ask you stevie on this and that is looking back at your journey and the teams you've created for anyone listening who maybe is looking to change career to come to the industry, who's maybe looking to progress throughout the industry, or simply is trying to get into the industry, but verbally feels like they're hitting their head against the wall because it is making making no sense to them and they can't seem to get in. What would you say to them? What advice can you give? What little gems can you give to help them out along their journey? You've got to get out there and you've got to get your face recognised. We are very much renowned for an industry. And this is my favourite thing about the animal industry is it is like one big family. You love each other one minute, you hate each other the next. And it's a really weird family network. But when your face is in there, everyone recognises you. There's lots of ways to do that. You know, you've got all the ABWAP events and courses that you can go on. There's all the Biasa courses that you can come on, both as a member and a non-member. When we started the zoo here at Jimmy's, someone learned we had Butterfly House for years. And they went, oh, you need a zoo licence for that Butterfly House. And Jim went, do you know what? If I'm going to do it, I'll do it. I do it big. And that's how we got talking and we started to turn it into a zoo. And no one knew me in the industry. No one at all. I've only been in it sort of seven years nearly. And all of those people I've met attending every zoo event and every catch up and anything I can do to, you know, get it, get my face out there to get myself known. And that's what I push all of my guys here to do. You know, half of our team sit on committees now, which is great. We push them to go to events. But as soon as the interns come in, it's like, right, when's the first Abwack one? Because we all know the best discussions and the best things always happen down the pub. But I've had so many good drinks with people in the industry. That's the best part of my year when I get to meet up with them and have a drink with them. And we have a laugh. You learn what everyone's doing and you've then got a network for experience and knowledge better than 
any other zoophile. You know, I can call so many people in the industry and ask for experience. You know, that's that's what's unique about this. And anyone that's come to the industry, get your face known. Start getting people to recognize you. Because then when you have an interview, people already know a bit about you. They're like, oh, yeah, I know. I know about you. I know where you are. And that's probably the best advice I can give. I couldn't agree more. Networking is very key. Couldn't agree with you more. Now, moving on then to the largest probably part of this podcast. It is the big questions. It's a part of this podcast where we tackle some of the harder hitting questions floating around the industry, very uncommonly answered. And we'll see if we can get anywhere near answering any of them. So number one, that takes us to the USA. It takes us to America, which leads us over there talk about a demographic survey done on their keeping staff it was done on the checkout ages of their keeping staff which seems to come in at around 32 now this could be for a whole variety of reasons and it's roughly replicated over here in the uk now that could be down to a whole range of things at 30 your life changes through simple life goals okay and that is a big big factor alongside this we aren't considered a trade we are labor in the uk so the question I've got alongside this is, do you feel there's a way we can safeguard our future of our experience of our true working force? And do you ever see us becoming a trade over labour? Yeah, well, I know the document that you sent me, you talked about skilled workers and sort of unskilled. Are we skilled or are we unskilled? We are definitely skilled workers. You know, we work for these animals. Imagine we are like the social care staff for animals. So the NHS of animals, that's what zookeepers are. We do it. Now, what's the issues with that? Let's not lie. There's a lot of people that want to work with animals. And there's always the old saying of people go, I'll do your job free. You're going to have an element of it. And we know how many people are trying to get into the industry. So it's not overly hard to replace those skills. Don't get me wrong. When you replace someone, you often have to hire two people to get that one person. And we know that. And we've, you know, we have progression plans on site. We are always assessing our wages. It's a difficult one, again, because there's a lot of costs that relate to zoos. You know, the electricity bill, our electricity bill here has gone up four times a month to what it was and it's ridiculous you look at it and you go wow and i've got to figure out how we can justify all these other bits and try and do it i think it's important for keepers to know it's not personal it's nothing that we're doing as a zoo to keep it down to go oh you're cheap workers we're going to hold you here that's that's not to do with it it's the industry that we're in animal doesn't tend to have a lot of money if you look at the industry across the whole board there are some sectors that do you know when you're growing up you always used to be told you won't make any money in animals unless you're a vet that was that was the saying that was always said and it's true but don't ever think that you're an unskilled worker because the skills that you've got are amazing to those animals you know you are like the nhs for animals we do care for them you can understand them you can look at them you can suss them out and those skills are are amazing it's very easy to get bogged down in the unfortunately the outside world but i know that my family let alone everyone outside of the industry is very jealous of what we do so um no very good point there see the big one that i find is actually you know i, I used to teach at Riddle. we would have a few hundred kids every year and i think in my my time i was there i must have seen about 1600 animal study students come through i would say every year maybe one black individual you know, one sort of Asian or background from there, it's actually not a very diverse network. And I think we need to do more to that. And some of it's cultural background, but there there is quite a lacking in diversity in, in animal keeping. I'll ask yourself in the collection that you're from, how much diversity do you have there in the animal side? Yeah, totally. I, I could not agree more with you, Stevie. I think it's something which we'll definitely touch on in a later episode. And we live in an industry which is built to be loved. It has some incredible and amazing moments made up throughout it. And 
everyone has stories to tell which shows you how amazing this industry is and it should be shared by all it should be diverse it should be equal and it should be shared by everyone so hopefully that will continue as, as time goes on and, and we will continue to evolve now the next question i've got for you stevie then is something up and coming something new something incoming to the industry and it is the change of the government guidelines the change of the secretary of state's with regards to how zoos run. Now, this is something which is incoming. It's a 100-page odd document, which covers a whole range of things out there. But the one I want you to focus on is conservation. I want you to focus on not only conservation in zoos, but it's looking into how zoos portray themselves. You can no longer simply give money to a conservation fund. You now need to prove your worth. You now need to show and evidence exactly what you're doing to help with those conservation programs. So the question I've got for you alongside this, Stevie, is to go alongside this, to achieve this. If you had unlimited funds, what would you do? But I guess more importantly, and I think this is a thing which will come from this question, what are you already doing to achieve this goal? Yeah, well, you know, the in-situ and ex-situ conservation, we do it. We're, we've always done it on site and many zoos do. But the easiest option was always donate some money. OK, we've got tape here on site. We're going to donate some money to this project. And that's it sort of done, if you like. Yep, you can still do that. Giving money to these projects is amazing. The only reason they can happen is because of the funding that we provide for many of them. But can we do more of our own sites? And I think this year that iNaturalist thing really opened up everyone's eyes on what's on site. And we've done, you know, we've got hedgehog release programs here. We work with a local wildlife sanctuary and we've had many animals sort of released buzzards and birds of prey and all these sort of things on site which is what this is asking you know how can we make our sites better for conservation and how can we get our keepers involved now if we've got big ponds on site well and we spoke about this year we've got a river system that runs on site we've got natural springs that come up maybe we should get involved with the crayfish breeding program because we can release them here i know i've got a big dormouse population in the woods and we monitor that we work with a few companies we've got the beehives that are now on site we're going to do our own honey this year. Uh, we're planting wildflower meadows. We're cross-planting some of the woodland into our, our enclosures and moving bits out. So you can do more. And it doesn't have to be just animal. It's like, how do we make our sites better for wildlife? And that's that's what I think this will be. And also, it's, it just makes us put more effort in singing and dancing about it. Many of us don't show what we're doing. And some of the small collections have got amazing stuff going on. And you hear the big collection stuff, but the small collections do amazing projects, but they're very modest and keeping it. You know, yeah, yeah, we do that already. You know, Shepworth down the road from us. They've just had their anniversary. They've got their um, hedgehog hospital going on. So it's amazing sort of bits and pieces down there. I really, really agree with you there, Stevie. I think there's some amazing work going on in our zoos and our wildlife. And I think the biggest thing we need to do is, is shout about it more. And hopefully this change in legislation will only improve this and enhance our zoos, showing how amazing our community is and the real good going on. So couldn't have put it better myself. And, and it's great to hear some of those amazing moments um, with the conservation elements in mind. Now, we're going on to that last big question, Stevie. I want to guide you to a fairly large question, and that is a collection plan. It's something that everyone has, everyone wants to be part of. It's very much a working document and something which everyone wants to be part of. They want to have their favourite animal in the collection through to seeing the collection progress and seeing its future plans in motion. The question I've got for you is, how is your collection plan unique within the industry? And looking back, is there anything you would change so far within your collection plan? Our collection plan works in lots of different ways. So, for example, we have our main collection plan and we've got this big old document 
and like every does they have some which animals leave in and we have everyone has their own sort of priority animals and for us we you know we're a rare breed center as well they are some of our priority animals that we have on it but we have a few rules that come to when we do our collection plans one of those rules is every animal has to pay free ways that's our farming head-on every animal has to pay free ways and how are they paying well the only way we can afford to do the projects we do and afford to keep these animals and afford to back all these conservation projects is to generate money we're not a charity we're a business and we generate this money and we put it all back into the business like we have done every year but each animal pay free ways and that could be through people come to see them that could be through contributing to a conservation program and that could also be potentially going through into our restaurants you know for the the farm livestock that we have so for example with some of the rare breeds that we have let's say we've got the norfolk horns for example they pay for people to come see them you know they pay for when they they lamb and the female lambs go into conservation and then the male lambs go into our restaurant. We have that with every animal and we all, it always allows people to stop and think and give them a bit more of a reason. Like, why are they here? They're not just because someone sat there and got, I really like this animal. They've got to pay free ways. The other thing we do is our collection plan happens every year and we've actually got ours next week. We, every single member of animal staff come into a room. They can all put proposals in for species they want. And we have a special uh, sheet that we complete that sort of um, scores those animals off, if you like. So when you score them, if it's a high scoring animal, you can present it. And it has different points, everything from marketing to feed costs to conservation requirements and things like that. Like we have all these info, but every single member of the team sits down and we vote on every single species, whether that stays, whether it goes, whether we need to improve it, whether we need to put it into conservation, we need to move out of it. We get the whole team involved and i think it's really important if you want people to take pride in what they do and be really proud of all the stuff the business does then they've got to have a say in it and if people have a say they'll back it because then you can sit there and go well we did all agree on this it also allows people to get things off their chest because a lot of frustrations just come from bad communication so collection plan is a big one for us and we've actually got a couple of keepers who have just joined us who have never done this sort of thing before and we'll sit there massive spreadsheet on a big screen going okay next animal uh guinea pigs what do we do with guinea pigs and everyone goes oh not guinea pigs like yeah people love them and we work through them and it sounds silly but we do that for every animal and it allows people to really have their say and that's really important uh, nice to hear that everyone's getting involved that's that's cracking okay so we've got through the big question stevie you've managed it we're on to the the final stretch bit of a quick fire round almost with this one a few few more light-hearted questions with this what is your favorite animal Go on, chuck it at me. Oh, Arthur the camel. He's my big baby. Uh, I love him. Oh, bless him. Bless him. Oh, that's great. So, again, moving on. Best side of the industry? The family network. The family feel of it. Totally. Totally. Um, One thing you'd want to improve in the industry? Oh, I think we need to call out the bad a bit more. We're always worried about showing the bad because it can bring a bad rep to everything. But I think we need to show it out a little bit more show the bad and here's the good totally totally top tip for well-being slash mental health have a life outside of work so many people just do work and then the problem is it becomes your life and you need a an escape whether that's a hobby or an activity or another job or you know friends you've got to have something outside of work some really great tips there stevie now your next one is globally what zoo would you like to visit and why globally ah oh, so the zoo our doors so i've always wanted to go to philadelphia zoo they do this concept of zoo 360 and it's always intrigued me and i i want to go and have a look at it and just see because in my head i'm like it must be a nightmare to clean there must be all these issues animals going over each other looking disease and i i just really want to go and see it and just understand the concept because i like the idea you know animals moving you lose this sort of whole um static enclosure fill but 
yeah, Philadelphia Zoo is my one that I just want to go see. That's a great show. Not one I've had so far. So I'll definitely have to check that out for myself. Now, your next one then is in 20 to 30 years, will zoos still be the same as we see them today? Oh, well, I think they're changing. I think they're changing sooner than 20 to 30 years. And my personal opinion on that is zoos are becoming experienced venues. They're not just about, you know, what they used to be about, which was entertainment and stuff like that. And it's still a form of entertainment. Let's be honest. We do education, we do conservation, but many people come out as a day of entertainment, you know, for their family. But I think they're going to be an experience venue. So what we do here, you know, we our restaurant on site only uses the animals that we, we slaughter here. They come from us. So you come here for the experience of the food, the gardens. People get married here. Then you go out and see the animals. You see the woodland. So we become an experience venue rather than, you know, the old sort of entertainment venue. A really great view and a really great angle. Great answer there, Stevie. Now, the next one I've got for you, and this is a bit probing, but who is your idol within the industry? Oh, my idol. Now, I had to think quite hard on this one. This is the only pre-question you gave me that I had to think about. Do you know, the person who I idolise a lot is Lynn Whitnell from Paradise. And I'll tell you why. She doesn't come from an animal background, but obviously the family's got the zoo. But she's so nice and open to everyone. You could ask her for any sort of help. And that's what we should do for each other. Like, we should support and help. Like, if I asked Lynn for anything I needed at all, she'd be the first one to call me or give me the help or the advice and their whole family is just lovely. But Lynn, for me, is like the idol. And if you've seen how many marathons she's run as well, it's, it's crazy. But she's my, um, yeah, she's probably the person I would most like to compare to when people think of me in 20 or 30 years' time. I'd like them to think that, you know, if they need anything, I'm here. Some really lovely words there, Stevie. And I'm sure if you continue the way you're going, you are 100% going to turn into that person you allude to. Now, the final question I've got for you to conclude this episode to wrap it all up for us, myself, the listeners, tell us, what is the industry to you in only three words? Family. Oh, this is a hard one, actually. Industry in three words. Family, difficult and entertaining. And t- <laughs> They're probably my three words because it does feel like a family network of all the keepers, all the zoo, all your animals. It's a close-knit industry. Uh, difficult because we do go through some of the hardest times. You know, you get your highs and lows with your animals. And it's entertaining because some of the funniest stories you could ever have is when you go down the pub and you listen to every other keeper's tales and some of those stories stick with me now. And it just, yeah, it's always entertaining on a daily basis. The silly stuff the animals do or keepers or public, public can keep you, you can write a book about the stuff the public do. That is three very fitting and amazing words to use for the industry. I could not agree more. And what a great way to conclude this episode. Now from myself and the listeners, Thank you so, so much for coming on, Stevie. It's been a real honour and a real privilege to have you on. Um, Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Yeah, cheers, Stevie. And hopefully we'll get you on again very, very soon. Thank you. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.